Keeping it real and raw with Patrick Tremont. Hi, everybody. I am so excited to have this very special guest on my show today. He is absolutely fantastic. He is uh, Jim Colucci, and he has been, he's an entertainment writer. He's been in TV Guide, In Touch, The Advocate, amongst many, many other magazines and books. He's also written some great books that we're going to talk about today. So I want to welcome Jim. Hi, Jim. How are you? Oh, I'm great. How are you, Patrick? Good to uh, be with you. Thank you so much. It's such an honor and a privilege to be talking with you today. I've been really excited about this interview because you have been, you're like everywhere in the entertainment industry, meeting all the the, the big people and having all the inside scoops of really knowing what's going on behind the scenes. So it takes a, it takes a lot to know all those kind of details, right? Well, it's just it, it, it's it's my passion. So it it just seems like a natural progression to be able to use my superpowers for good. I guess my superpowers being that I spent too much time in front of the TV as a kid. <laughs> and so I just I love that that information comes in handy, which is exactly in defiance of my mother's predictions, who would say, turn off the TV and go do something. <laughs> right. uh, so I love that it's become a career. But seriously, it is I'm really privileged that I get to meet all these people who are, have always been my idols. Yeah. And, you know, I, I always used to joke that when I was a kid and I used to watch the Brady Bunch that I wished I were the fourth Brady Bunch and I had a bunk bed in that room and I wanted to crawl through the television and look <laughs> around at that bicentennial beds, uh, bed set and bedspreads and stuff and really check out the Brady bedroom. And I feel that metaphorically I've gotten to do that with my career. I've gotten to go inside the TV and go behind the scenes and see how this stuff is made and talk to these people who are legends. So I am so lucky that that's what i've gotten to do yeah now have you always been a writer like how'd you kind of get involved in that to to have this kind of career i have always been a writer and wanted to be a writer i wrote for the you know like so many people wrote for the yearbook and, and newspaper in high school and college but i didn't go to college to pursue writing and so I really had to find my way back to it. And it, it kind of happened by accident. I, I had started trying to write spec scripts for television shows, for sitcoms. And uh, that's a really tough field to break into, especially from New York City, where I was living. You really have to live in L.A. And especially back then, before Zoom and telecommuting, you really had to. Uh, and so I wasn't finding an incredible amount of luck with that, but I was meeting people. And in the meanwhile, in my personal life, I met my husband, Frank DeCaro, and he was on staff or on retainer as a writer for TV Guide. Yeah. And I just got a lucky break because he had covered The Sopranos extensively. Oh, and of wow. course, that show was shot back east a lot, a lot of times on location in New Jersey, where both he and I are from. And so Frank had, had written cover stories about the Sopranos and stuff. And it was, there was a day in 1999 when the Sopranos was having an open casting call at a high school in New Jersey. And uh, they were supposedly going to be casting minor actors from that. And they only ended up casting one person from that casting call, but it was this big publicity stunt and TV guy wanted to cover it but they wanted to do it with someone incognito. And originally they had assigned Frank to the story because he wrote about so many things Sopranos, but then they realized at the last minute, wait a minute, he sat down with all of them. They're, they're going to recognize him. And so at the last minute they needed to scramble to find someone to write this story. And they asked me to do it. And so I went and covered this casting call for the Sopranos for TV guide. And it was kind of a, legendary disaster of a of a story not just on my part but just because the the casting call received like 20 30,000 people trying to line up to see the Sopranos producers and it shut down the highway around this town and it became this wow. crazy crowd scene so my story was about that how I never got in yeah. but uh, I ended up it just opened the door to be able to pitch stories to TV guide and from then on, I just kept doing it. I kept pitching them stories about TV, whatever was my passion. And it one thing leads to another when it's meant to be, I guess, because I got the opportunity 
to pitch books. And uh, the first thing I wanted to pitch was a Golden Girls book because that's where I really always wanted to go behind the scenes. But in the meanwhile, I auditioned for and got the job to write a book about Will and Grace, which was another show that changed my life and that I was obsessed with. And so I was able to go behind the scenes on Will and Grace while they were still making that show and write about it uh, for for a book that came out in 2004. Yeah. So what was like the crew on Will and Grace? Did you get to meet all the characters and get to know all oh, of them? Yes. And, yeah. So how were they like? Yeah. What were they like? Well, it it was really interesting because of all the books I've written, it was the only book where the show was still in production, which when you're a book author actually makes it a challenge because it's like trying to catch a moving train. Yeah. But you have to write about a show in, in the past tense that's still going. And so at what point can you draw the line and publish the book when the publisher takes like a year to lay out a book mm-hmm. by the time you're, you finished writing your, your book's out of date already because the show has moved on. So it's very tricky to do that. That was the hard part. The great part though, is that it's like going to fantasy camp because yeah. you get to go behind the scenes and just be a fly on the wall and watch them. I sat there for three weeks in December of 2003 and just watch three different episodes being produced. And in, in breaks, I would interview the main cast or the guest stars or the crew and really was embedded in there and saw how the show worked yeah. for those three solid weeks. So it was a really, it was an amazing experience. And me- meeting all of them was really funny because they really were a lot like their characters. I, I a lot of times you meet people and they they say never meet your idols because they're disappointing or because they're not what you expect. Right. But those actors in so many ways reminded me of their characters. They were so perfectly cast. I always loved the character of Will. He re- reminds me of me in that he is a gay guy who's kind of anal and organized and type A. And I wouldn't say Eric is type A and anal and all that, but Eric is very smart and does everything from intellect as an actor. And so he was a great interview because as as an author, you need actors to be able to tell you, this is why I did that. This is why I did that. And so Eric is able to do that. He has, he intellectualizes everything he does. And so he can tell you, well, in that scene, I realized it would be funny to slide down the desk. And so I worked it out with Jimmy Burroughs, the director and, and see, he would give me a great story. And not only that, he is the nicest guy. Yeah. And so I had a great time meeting with him. And I, that was where I was like, Oh, see when they don't disappoint, this is perfect. Yeah. And Deborah was very much the same way. Deborah Messing. She was very smart and intellectual, about how she did things mm-hmm. and was a great interview and sean and megan did things by feel they were kind of whereas i would say eric and deborah are more left-brained in their approach i think the other two sean and megan are more right-brained and they just do things on instinct and have brilliant comedy instincts yeah. and so writing about their comedy brilliance and all the little funny things they find to do while they're rehearsing a script was so much fun and the four of those actors were wonderful to spend time with. I yeah. really had a great time doing that. It, it seems like it'd be a, you know, a lot of fun and everything, being able to meet all of them and then getting to know them. So whenever you're putting something like that together in, in order for writing in the book, you know, are you doing research on all the character, you know, on the actors themselves? And then you're asking about the characters or how are you approaching the book when you're writing it? Like with any of the books you've done, I know you've done one on golden girls and you've met them and I know you've done all in the family and you've, doing you know you've done will and grace so whenever you're um you know preparing for a book and you're going in there to you know interview them do they know what they're being interviewed for or do they you know like how do you approach it well i tend to focus on the show not the actor mm-hmm. and the reason being for a, a lot of the shows i've written about with the exception of will and grace they were out of production for 20 30 years And the actors have had time to write their own memoirs in many cases Mm -hmm. or have been interviewed ad infinitum about themselves. And so it it wouldn't have made sense for me, for example, for Betty White to spend a lot of pages in the book writing about Betty's 
long career before the Golden Girls. Because Betty has written memoirs, several volumes of memoir about that. So I wanted to concentrate on the show and not to the detriment of the actor. Of course, I talk about how brilliant Betty and all these actors I've written about are. But I'm focusing on the show. So when I sit down with them, it's about the Golden Girls or it's about Will and Grace or it's about All in the Family or it's about the Love Boat. However, of course, their personal lives dovetail with the show Mm-hmm. all the time and so a lot of times you'll end up getting a story well the reason why we did that episode is because in my real life i was going through a divorce or i had, had just had a baby or we were trying to hide that i was pregnant or i was doing i was reuniting with a guest star from my other show and let me tell you about a story about how i worked with them on the other show and how that affected this so it ends up all bleeding into my story anyway right See, now that's very interesting because I, I, you know, you just never know how someone's going to be writing and what, you know, and how the book is going to come, you know, through. You know what I mean? So sure. that's very, very interesting. You know, so you're writing it from a point of view of the, of the, of the show and the character. So whenever they're doing character development, you're kind of like learning how do they approach a certain scene and all that. See, that's interesting. That's really yeah. I, I really focus on the show, as I said. Other information can be gotten elsewhere, <clears throat> but it, other information ends up bleeding into my book anyway. Right. But it's it, the, and that makes the study process really a lot of fun because you just have to go back and watch the show over and over and do it a lot from memory anyway. Yeah. But you know, I right now I have just finished another rewatch of every episode of the love boat taking 10 pages of notes per episode so that i have all of this stuff for as i'm interviewing these actors and many of these guest actors who did only one episode Mm -hmm. so uh, with will and grace it was funny it was before it was just before the dvd era yeah Uh, dvds were starting to be prevalent but when i first started researching the book nbc sent me these like three giant cardboard boxes of video cassettes one per episode yeah of will and grace just so that i'd have them for my research because the show was not out on dvd yet as i said it wasn't even in syndication yet so i needed back episodes to study again and take notes on and so and then the show started coming out on dvd just as i was uh doing my research so it was funny but you really just have to study up on the on the previous episodes however you can find them yeah so did they talk about the madonna episode oh yes definitely yeah and you know my book covered seasons one through six because as i said i was there during the production of season (laughs) six yeah um but that had already happened and and uh yeah i mean if you notice megan mullally has talked more about the madonna episode or uh, and i think eric mccormick may have too someone was just on a podcast talking about the madonna episode and how she didn't want to wear the costume that they had for her character right um and i know that they've said that Madonna was not somebody who, like most guest stars, would hang out with the cast and really bond over the course of a week. And they they were, I think, all a little disappointed in that. And yet they said she did a good job. And, and when I watched that episode, I have to say, I think Madonna did a great job. It, yeah. Maybe it would have been better if she had worn the, the, app, the, the costumes yeah. like they had wanted her to because it would have been more convincing. But her comedic delivery was just so bizarre and funny. And I, just, I love that episode. I know. I thought it was really good, too. Of course, now the most iconic one, of, of course, was Cher. Whenever, you know, oh, yes. whenever Jack was sitting there imitating her and he didn't know it was her or whatever. That is so funny. I love that episode as well. And I think Cher did a good oh, job, but she wasn't throughout the entire show. She was just like a little blip, right? You know, just a little. No, thing. she she made, I think, two appearances. She came back another time and played God. Yeah. Uh, but so she was just on twice. But yeah, I mean, yeah. so memorable. So memorable. Of course, we know that Elton John was on there and Janet Jackson was on there, too. So there was a lot of guest stars because it was such a big hit, a big phenomenon as far as, uh, you know, a show goes, you know, and then it also it was it became the thing to do for a guest star. Almost almost to the show's detriment, because people would start to criticize it, saying that the show is now all of a sudden just built as this guest star vehicle, kind of like Here's Lucy was back in the day. And yeah. uh, there was some val- validity to that criticism, I think, right. because the show did kind of go a little more over the top and, and rather than focusing on its core character sometimes. However, some of those guest star episodes are some of the ones I love the most. So exactly. there you go. Well, it's funny you mentioned Here's Lucy. I remember that. She had like, um, I want to say Joan Crawford on one episode. Yes. 
I remember that. I mean, I was a kid, you know, and I remember watching some of the reruns or whatever. And I remember Joan Crawford being on there. There was a lot of, you know, people, you know, that guest there was just on there. a clip going around with Ginger Rogers doing the Charleston with Lucy and Lucy Jr. Yes. And that, because I think they substituted the song, the, the song Single Ladies in the soundtrack uh, for this meme. Oh, really? So it's, it's really funny to see them doing the Charleston to single ladies. No, I mean, the, that show was really a guest star format by the end. Yeah. Well, I mean, of course, who doesn't love Lucille Ball? You know what I mean? Oh, <laughs> she of course. is absolutely fantastic. But now I know you've also done one um, with All in the Family, and you met the wonderful Norman Lear. Now, oh, he yeah. is what it, he's like a legend in tv land right so he's amazing how was that to be meeting someone who has this complete phenomenal career and he's like this legend so tell me about that and also putting together all in the family and did you meet any of those people to make to make this Uh, book i have met in the past sally struthers and rob reiner uh and i interviewed them by phone for this book because it was during covid uh, but I, I I did get to sit with Norman for a bit. And now the the slight disappointment, and this is me being selfish, is that when I originally was approached about doing this book, of course I said yes, and I even put the Love Boat book on the back burner for a bit so that I could work on the on the All in the Family book because All in the Family was such a formative show for me. I would say all of the shows I've written about, I've been so lucky. They are all the ones that have shaped my sense of humor and a lot of my politics between all in the family, golden girls, will and grace. Those are three shows that really were formative for me. Um, and love boat to some extent, it certainly shaped who I was in a lot of ways. Uh, but the getting to work on all in the family with Norman Lear, with the master, with the man whose brainchild it was, Mm -hmm. who at the time when I was offered this book was 97 going on 98. I was like, um, yes, please. I will put aside whatever I have to in order to do this. Now I was offered this chance in December, in January of 2020. And I envisioned that I would be sitting with Norman side by side writing this book. It didn't work out that way only because, as we all know, what happened in February of 2020. Mm -hmm. So by the time Norman and I were writing the book, we were doing it by Zoom. That's my only selfish complaint. Right. But Norman was fabulous to work with. Memory as sharp as anybody's, sharper. And a lot of times I'm finding when I'm writing books like this, I'm asking people, you know, do you remember what happened on that Thursday 50 years ago? So it's an unfair memory test. But Norman remembers more than most people and really had a, a strong perspective yeah. on which episodes he loved and what made the show work and and really remembering details mm-hmm. that went into this book, along with visuals, because one of the best treats of getting to write this book was at one point Norman's assistant said, well, as we look for visuals, we have boxes uh, that have never been opened in the past 50 years of letters that came in, letters that went out, photos, clips, and we can have them brought to Norman's house if you want to go through them and pick out what should go in the book. Right. And I mean, that's talk about a kid in the candy story invitation yeah so do you want to go to norman's house and dig through 50 file boxes of about all in the family that no one including norman has looked at in 50 years so that was really an amazing experience getting to go through and see what the reaction was to this show and what people wrote to him and what he wrote back to them and how times were in terms of what people would say in their letters about certain issues the idea that edith going through menopause embarrassed so many male mm-hmm. viewers one guy wrote in about how i i this is a fa- i thought this was a family show and i tr- i watched that episode with my daughters and i was so mortified to, for you to be talking about that and it's like really to be talking about menopause i know i mean that we at least we've come far on that issue right well i know that there was one that there was a famous one with edith i mean something major happened to her i can't remember what the scene was but well, where she was nearly raped yes that's it and i remember that being so controversial you know at the time it well, was at like least that oh should my be God. controversial because that is you know an attack on 
someone we love and it's exactly. violent and it's you know yeah. but they that show the way that show handled it was so brilliant um but you know at least i understand that being controversial but the, right. the idea of something as basic and natural as menopause causing an uproar is i, know. is, I mean it's, it's both crazy. hilarious and sad at the same time well they also thought that archie was always so mean to her you know, but yes. I, think, I think he was actually kind of mean to everybody, wasn't he? You know, he was. So he, he was. was. And grumpy. then he had his tender moments with her, too, which yes. were really well earned in terms of the writing and the characterization and, and uh, really explained a lot about them as characters. And that was Carol and Jean yeah. being brilliant actors. Yes, they were really, really good. And of course, we know Meathead, you know. <laughs> yes. You know? And so, and, um, and now he's become like a what a producer or a director himself, right? Oh, uh, the, a the mega actor. producer and director. Yeah. In fact, he was re he had the rights to the Princess Bride to make a movie a version, even while he was ending his run on All in the Family. Oh, and so wow. he was kind of champing at the bit to become a director and producer, even while he was doing that acting. Yeah. And you know, it's one of the reasons why among other reasons why his character left the show after season eight, because he had more career he wanted to accomplish. Yeah. Well, he's, he, I mean, they're all, see, I just, I feel like they just don't like, they don't make sitcoms like they used to, you know, I, I think At that the moment the, they aren't. Yeah. They're I not. I hope that they continue to the multi-camera sitcoms. I feel like, no, I don't understand why networks don't understand this. Multi-camera sitcoms are derided now by so many people as being old fashioned or corny. That's when they're done badly. When right. they're done well, they become classics that mm -hmm. become part of American culture and that are among <clears throat> the biggest hits in syndication, among yeah. the biggest money makers. So if you think about all of the classic shows that people love from the past six decades and name them, yeah, I, I'd say at least 75% of them will be multi-camera sitcoms yes. from on the family, friends, Seinfeld, everybody loves Raymond. There are examples from every decade and every era. Right. And it's just, the fact that networks don't launch them anymore and try to find the next big hit. Right. It is difficult to do because unlike some other shows, if one element of a sitcom isn't working, it can drag the whole show down. Whereas with a drama, I think if you have one character who does, isn't working, you can write them out quietly. Right. Or one actor who's not working, you can write that person out quietly. But with a comedy, because there's such a chemistry that needs to be there, mm -hmm. it's very hard to get everything right. And so it's, it's almost like buying a lottery ticket when, when networks put comedies on the air. Because you have to buy the ticket to win, True. and yet the odds of winning are slim but when you win you get a lot of money yeah right exactly well it's speaking of legendary shows and iconic iconic shows out there golden girls now oh, you did God. a you did a great book on that you know a few years ago it's been it's been a, a little while right and thank you yeah it came out in 2016 yes so um but great great job now Golden Girls is a classic. It's uh, it's right up there, probably in the top five, top ten classic TV shows ever, you know, at least in my opinion. And I love it because it never gets old. I think they, they did, you know, uh, talk about different themes and different kind of, you know, uh, topics and everything that I think even though it's for women, I think anybody can resonate to, you know. So yes. uh, you can identify with these characters on some sort of level, depending on the, you know, uh uh, to, you know, the topic that was going on or whatever the show. So um, now I know you did a book on that. And so you got to meet some of them. So now this is where this is like the Holy Grail, you know? Yeah, <laughs> so, it was for me. As I said, it's the first book I wanted to write. Yeah. And I had written a book proposal even when I was writing for TV Guide, waiting for my first chance to write a book. Now, my first chance to write a book ended up being about Will and Grace, which was pretty great, too. But I went right back to the Golden Girls after that. Yeah. So how was it writing a book about such an iconic show that's very beloved and a lot of people are going to be like, you know, and I'm sure you probably had a, I, I know you do a great job with all your books, but was this one really something that's really near and dear to you that you'd spend a lot of time on to make sure you got it exactly right and you've met the characters? Absolutely. In fact, it took me 10 years. So wow. yeah, I spent a lot of time on it. I started interviewing the ladies in 2006 and the book came out in 2016. So that shows how long it took. But I, I got to sit with 
everyone except for Estelle. Unfortunately, Estelle's memory was not good enough by the time I started my research. Yeah. Uh, and so I spoke to everybody in her life. I spoke to her sons and her caretakers and a lot of other people, friends. But uh, for the other three women, I got to interview them in their living rooms, as it turned out. Oh and gosh. it was again talk about those are pinch me moments yes. where you're sitting with one of these ladies in their house thinking how did i get here how did this work out that i went from being an obsessive fan who loved this show so much and wanted to go inside the television and i kind of have now yeah. i'm sitting in betty white's sunny yellow living room with her dog lying on my feet while we're talking wow. you know it's just or i'm i'm in rue mcclanahan's manhattan apartment and i'm interviewing her on camera Mm. And uh, or the the most interesting one, I'm sitting with B. Arthur in her living room. She's got her bare feet up on the coffee table because she was always barefoot. And <laughs> after the interview, she had made me agree. The condition of doing the the interview was that she had made me agree that I would stay and have some drinks with her after. And so here we are splitting a bottle of wine after the interview, making small talk about old movies. Wow. It was just, it was incredible to get to spend time with them. Um, as you're telling me this, I'm visualizing this, you know, it's uh, such a great story. See, cause a lot of people just love all those ladies, you know? Oh, so, of course. So of course, like, is Betty White really like she is, like you see on TV and everything? You know, she was such a good hearted, really, genuine person. She really was. I would have to say she is as nice as you wanted her to be. So she was, not a disappointment. In fact, she was better than you'd expect because when you think of nice, that's one dimension. Yeah. But Betty was nice with brilliance underneath. Oh, and wow. so it was better than having a conversation with Rose Nyland. Yeah. Because Betty was as nice as Rose and as funny as Rose, but brilliant. Right. And could tell you, you know, really insightful things about making that show. Yeah. Uh, what was also interesting about Betty is that she had this core strength underneath her sweetness, which I think is a great combination. And it's probably one of the reasons why she lasted so long in show business and in life. Yeah. Because she was somebody with a core strength to her. She had the fortitude to make it through show business and to make it through her 90s. Yeah. And yet she also was kind and knew enough how to make people feel comfortable right. and happy and safe and befriended. No. So what a combination. Yeah. And I mean, what a privilege to meet her, you know, to meet oh, all my God. Of them. And the funny thing is I went to Betty's house for an interview and I had just been interviewing someone over lunch. Actually, the writers who wrote the hundredth episode of the Golden Girls, who are the parents of Simon Helberg from Big Bang Theory. Yeah. And I, so I had spent time with Sa Sandy and Harriet Helberg over lunch, and I had not noticed <laughs> how much iced tea I had consumed. And so I get in the car to go to Betty's house, and by the time I get to Betty's house, I have to pee so bad. And so I ring Betty's doorbell, and both she and her assistant came to the door. And I, I had my computer with me and all this equipment, and I said, I'm so sorry to do this to you when they answered the door. I really need to use your bathroom before I even uh, set up. And Betty stood there and said to me, Oh, I'm sorry. I don't have a bathroom. I'm just that nice. I, I, when guests come over, they have to go use the service station down the street. And was doing with Rose Island. And then when she saw like that, I had was that I got it and was laughing. All of a sudden, the wicked smile came on her face, and she was like, okay, the powder room's right there. But yeah. I was like, oh, Betty was doing fun shtick with me from moment one. I know, right? See, now, these are wonderful, wonderful stories to have, and great memories you'll always have, you know? And, oh, um, exactly. How wonderful is that? She's, she, I would love to have met her. You know, she just seems so, you know, so genuine and so sincere. Now, what about Rue? Was she, was she a little tart and sassy like her character, or was she just, you know... I'm sure she was sweet. She was tart and sassy and sweet. You know, the one thing I'll say about Rue, and it's all my fault. I take 100% responsibility. You can actually watch the interview I did with Rue. It was for the Archive of American Television, and it's on their website if you Google it. Okay. You, if you, I, probably if you Google her name and my name and interview, it'll probably come up. And the format of those interviews for an actor can be really daunting. Because right. they ask you everything about 
from when you were born to what you had bre- for breakfast this morning. Yeah. And when you're pushing 80 years old or older, that's a lot of time to cover in detail. And yeah. so I'm as the interviewer, I'm given like 50 single space pages of questions. And you, we tell the subject that it will take four or five, six hours. But even with that amount of time, it's hard to cover that much information. Yeah. And so the producers of the interview will be handing me notes. Skip this. Skip that. We don't have time for this. And so you're, I'm trying to look at my questions, look at the notes, keep an eye on Rue, let her know I'm listening. And so I was an inexperienced interview with the interviewer at that. And I did something that I tend to do as an interviewer that I have to stop doing, which is that when I want to cram stuff in, I just start talking really fast. And here I've had Rue on camera for already three or four hours. So she's already getting a little tired of answering all these questions. And you'll notice I start just talking faster and faster and throwing questions together, hoping I can get her to say them all the same. And so at one point you hear me saying like, well, and then in 1977, you did five TV TV movies and here they are in that you did this TV movie and that was called so-and-so and you did it with this person. And then you did another TV movie called this is so, <laughs> and I just, I started talking like a crazy person and you see Ruth's eyes are starting to spin around in her head. And at one point you hear her say something to me like, if you would just stop talking, I will answer the question. And so Rue got a little testy with me a couple of times, but as I say, it is completely my fault. And off camera, when we did uh, breaks or they would touch up her makeup or we'd have bathroom breaks or they'd be changing the tape and the camera, I was still peppering her with Golden Girls questions uh, that I needed for my book. And she was a good sport about that and was lovely to me and having me in her home for this interview. So when I say watch the interview and you'll see the tone of it, what I mean is you'll see the few moments where Rue very rightfully got annoyed with me. But what you didn't see behind the scenes was how great she was. Right. Oh, I'm going to check this out. So now you've, you, I've got my curiosity up now. Yes. Well, um, well that uh, now I know you mentioned earlier. I want to go back to the love boat. Now you said you've been watching the episodes. Now I'm like on season two, episode seven, you know? (laughs) Right. And, um, but there's one episode, the stripper episode. That's so famous for me. I think it's just hilarious. Do you know the one I'm talking about with the guy is, are you, Brian Kerwin, where he's the the uh, he's hired as a stripper and they don't know it's a male stripper. Yeah, oh, no, he's hired as a dancer and they don't know he's a male stripper. That's it. Julie hires a dancer sight unseen, and he's a male stripper. And not only that, but he's a teacher. Yes, and the head of the PTA, a oh woman, is on board. <laughs> That's it. Okay, yeah. I swear, I want to mimic that dance. I want to dress. I want to do oh, like yes. a Halloween show with that or something. It is it the the the, the dancing and everything is so hysterical to me i'm sorry i know it was the times at the time but it was so funny but there's one p now tell me i know that the uh the wonderful captain steubing gavin mcleod of course he was captain steubing and um and so cherished and so beloved amongst everybody who worked with him we're going to talk about him in a minute but in the show did he sniff the pants of the stripper <laughs> did you know i would have to look back and at my notes Jim? if he did i'm sure i put that in my notes as i said i take like 10 pages of notes for every episode i cannot okay. off the top of my head say whether that's true but i'll bet it's in my notes okay jim i'm telling you right now i think he sniffs some or it looks like he does because <laughs> he throws the hat or no he throws the gloves to mr howell because mr howell's a guest jim Bacchus or whatever yeah he's on the episode he throws the glove on the you know on the thing on the table and then he throws julie the top hat and the cane i mean i've watched this a thousand times and i think it's just hysterical (laughs) and then captain steubing says now is he going to take off his and then here comes the pants well then you see the guy in his little speedo uh bejeweled speedo by the way and then and then you see Captain Stooming in the next shot. I swear he has it up to his face like he's going, you know, because uh, Gavin had these, you know, certain he was a great character actor. We all know that. So he really, you know, played that character well. I swear I- I'm going to need you to hit me up later and just say yes. You know, just text I will me. go back and rewatch <laughs> that for you or check my notes and I will text you and say whether I think he is sniffing the stripper's pants. <laughs> I know it's so horrible, but I swear it just <laughs> looks like he may not have, but to us viewers, it looks like he just kind of sniffed it anyway, but that was just funny to me. So now me going to the love boat. Now 
there are so many guest stars on there. And I've been watching them, and I think one of the very first stars that was ever on there was like Charo. You know, she wasn't one of the first, but she became one of the most frequent because she was yes. so beloved. Okay, that's it. Okay, because she would do coochie coochie, you know, and all that. And she'd play the guitar, which we know. I don't think a lot of people even know this, especially the younger generation. They're not going to know that she's actually a very fluent guitarist, you know. She yeah, can, she's a flamenco guitarist. She's preeminent. Well, you know it if you watch the show because she does perform just about every time she's on. Now, sometimes she performs her guitar numbers and you see how brilliant she is and then sometimes she just does something campy and cheesy like a disco version of the love boat where she sings along with like a disco track and shakes her boobs yes. so you never know what you're gonna get with her which is part <sighs> of the fun i know and it's so funny because when i watch her episodes i'm just cracking up and i'm like you know this is how i grew up it was love boat and then fantasy island right afterwards so yes, right i used to always watch that like on a saturday night that was my saturday night back when i was a kid you know and so um oh i just love all those shows but uh yeah so so did you get to meet all of the love boat cast and to to do yes. the book now the book is coming out in what 2024 you said spring 2024. Yes. Okay. Well. It, it, it has taken me forever because I am a Virgo and I have this completest nature to me. Yeah. And so I want to find every guest star I can find and get every story I can find and cram it into that book. And so I have already interviewed about 350 people for this book, oh. uh, including the entire main cast producers, directors, crew members, costume, hair, makeup, and then, of course, hundreds of those great guest stars. So now and one of the best things for me is that it's an excuse to meet anybody I ever wanted to meet, really. Yeah, because just about anybody who was anybody in the 70s and 80s, which is when I was a kid watching television, was on the love boat. Right. And so I can call them up and set up either a phone interview or a lunch date. How amazing is that? You know, like it's been great. And that, during COVID, it's been great because <laughs> They've been available during COVID because they, there was nowhere they could go either. And I have found that at the end of an hour on the phone with some of these people, they'll, I, I've been listening to the tapes again recently. Yeah. And I hear them all say, you know, thank you so much. I wasn't sure if I'd remember a lot about The Love Boat, but I'm so glad I did this interview with you because you took me out of 2020 and all the sadness of 2020 Right. for an hour and brought me back to 1978 and the sunshine and the Mexico and the, the, the blowing way, the blowing winds and the waves of that set. Yeah. So, and the Lido deck. <clears throat> so people were so happy to talk to me about the love boat because that took them out of the troubling times we're in now. And I think that's what the book is going to do. Yeah. Well, I'm going to get a copy of that. I'm going to need a copy of it pronto as soon as it comes out because i absolutely love the love boat in fact i even did a this this video you know one of my little videos from my social media just having fun i was lip syncing to the theme you know not the dion yes. warwick version but the other one i was just playing around you in know my, my poor dion yeah poor dion it's not her fault that they made that choice to replace jack jones i of course the jack jones version is the classic and i yes. love it i like the dion version too and it's not dion's fault but yes i know people when people hear that season nine they hear the new theme that's very 80s the way it's even orchestrated yeah. people laugh and say why would they change a classic and i don't know the answer to that other than that fact that the show was getting old in the long in the tooth and they wanted to refresh it however, whatever way they could think of to get some more seasons out of it. Exactly. And one of the ways they thought was the theme song. And Dionne Warwick was had a, having an 80s career resurgence. And so to them, it was a good idea. Yeah. And I actually like her version. Had there not been for the Jack Jones version first, we'd all love the Dion version. I think you're right. And you know what? I mean, it's not, I mean, Dion's, you know, classic and legend, but, and it's like you said, it's really not her fault, but the way that the guy sings it is just so more, I don't know, charming, you know, like, I don't know. It just sounds better because Dion's delivery was just a little bit like, you know, kind of, well, you know, like, I mean, she was doing it, but she also just came right off of solid gold. Right. So, 
Well, know, and, or, and that's or, what friends were for. This was yes. the era when she was having a lot of 80s hits. You know, one of the things I think you can say about Jack Jones's version, not only does he have a great voice and I love his voice, but he's got that crooner voice. Yeah. It, 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 to me, it evokes an, an era of lounge singers. And that's what you'd expect to find on the love boat, like a crooner lounge singer singing like the love boat. The love you know, boat. To me, it evokes the spirit of the show, just the sound of it, because that's the kind of singer you'd expect to find on board a crooner exactly um, and when dion does it it's super produced and you know when because her voice is so distinctive you know this is an 80s pop recording star yeah that is redoing it and so it takes it to me it takes it off the boat and into the world of hollywood you know that's a great way of uh of uh interpreting it yes because I, I remember her being on solid gold which she did a very good job i used to love you know that that's what you need to do too can you ever can you do something about solid gold because <laughs> i probably could yes i mean uh, how amazing that would be just i just think of the amount of work that would be to track down all those people i know like darcel remember her she's she's yes. the, uh, oh my god everybody loved darcel there was a few actual dancers that did a great job and they actually kind of became legendary in their own right you know because they became like the actual dancers you know and uh, that a lot of people knew and identified with and because you'd see them every week you know acting out all these things you know but um anyway no i just love solid gold i know it's kind of crazy but see now you're making me go back to my childhood you know <laughs> see that's what happens you know you talk for about this stuff for a while exactly and the memories and the emotions come flooding back and i i certainly more than ever having been through the pandemic i think we all feel this way i'm not the only person to figure this out right i understand the appeal of nostalgia tv and nostalgia in general i i love nostalgia and i've always enjoyed looking back maybe to my detriment too much however i also have always been a person who enjoyed the present and look forward to the future yeah. and doing those latter two things the present and the future were a little tough for the past two years in fact for the past six years since 2016 right it's been hard to enjoy the present and to envision a good future and so i think i leaned even more heavily on nostalgia tv and we probably all did yeah well, you've done an amazing job with all of this. It's just absolutely amazing. And you're bringing back so Thank many you. great memories. And I just saw you on TV. It's a, um, I think it was on the Reels channel, right? The Love Boat Happily Ever After, like documentary. Yes. Oh, that was a great special. I was really impressed with it. It was, they gave it two hours, which was a great amount of time to be able to cover the show. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, sometimes you watch these specials that are retrospectives and they are so short that they only have time to go into the very basics of the story right and a lot of times if you're a fan you already know the basics of the story and so it's not worth your time this uh love boat special on reels was a two-hour special that i think was really deep you'll yeah. really enjoy it if you're a love boat fan oh look i have watched it like twice i have it taped to my dvr you know <laughs> so i i just absolutely love it because i love the love boat and whenever you were meeting well first of all how was it you being interviewed you know, because I know you're oh, on there that being was interviewed. Fun. So was it fun being on the opposite side of the, you know, the thing here? So being it was it was fun. It was when I wore a, a nautical striped jacket to get in the spirit. And at one point, you know, they ask you to sing the theme song and I'm a ham. I'll do that. Yeah. So, you know, uh, being able to talk about something as fun and fluffy as the love boat is a joy. Yeah. If I were on the other side of a 60 minutes interview where I had secretly embezzled billions of dollars and was an arms dealer, I might not enjoy being interviewed. <laughs> right. But, you know, you sit there with the love boat and it, it's there's no guilt. It's just guilty pleasure. Exactly. And all you have to do is talk about loving these things that we all love. Yeah. And so that's a pure joy. So how was it? Now, you know, they're the uh, the actual characters are on there. The, are the actors themselves are actually talking about their lives and their experiences with it and meeting, you know, um, these different celebrities and then also having all their own hardships. So how was it meeting um, Captain Steubing, Gavin McLeod? He was amazing. I he was the first person of obviously who yeah. I wanted to talk to. He was the show. Not only that, but not to be ghoulish, but with the love boat a lot of these particularly the guest actors because they could be any age but even the main actors you know this is 30 something 40 something years ago so they're all getting up there yeah. and so gavin was in his late 80s when i met with him and i wanted to make sure i talked to him because without gavin there's no book so i set yeah. a date 
to interview Gavin as the very first person I was going to talk to. And as fate would have it, the night before I was due to drive out to Palm Springs from L.A. to meet Gavin, I got a phone call that in New Jersey, my father had been in a car accident. Mm -hmm. And so I had to call Gavin's manager and cancel at the last minute and apologize profusely. I'm so sorry to cancel at the last minute. But of course, she understood why I was canceling. And I had to fly to New Jersey. Well, my father passed away and I had to spend weeks clearing everything out and getting things ready and all the stuff you have to do. And so I didn't come back to L.A. for over a month. I originally was supposed to meet Gavin in mid-July. I got back at the very end of August. And I called his manager, and she put me right on the top of his calendar and set up a date on August 30th or 31st, where I was again going to drive to Palm Springs and meet Gavin at this, this theater where he was very active. And so we were going to meet at the theater itself. And I drove to Palm Springs. And it was a 115 degree day. Wow. And I walk into this theater and Gavin is right off the lobby. He walks into the lobby when he hears my voice and he hadn't heard from his manager, I guess, what had, ha I mean, what had ultimately happened with my father. He knew about the car accident. And so Gavin walked up to me and said, how's your father? And when I told him my father had passed away, he threw his arms around me and just gave me a bear hug. Oh. and was so sweet to me for the rest of the day. Now, I know he would have been sweet anyway because he was known for being one of the nicest people in Hollywood yes. and the nicest people you'd ever meet. Yes. Um, and, you know, honestly, he was two years older than my dad, and so it was like having a parental figure there with me as I'm doing this interview, easing me into doing it and making, you know, it was like having a paternal figure sitting with me. Wow. It just was the timing. You know, the, sometimes you look at the fate of something and you realize this was meant to happen in this order. Right. And this, that, he made me feel so good that day after I was, you know, just getting my legs back after a, such a terrible experience. And he was so kind to me and spent like five or six hours with me that day. Really, it was a, one of the best interviews I've ever done because he was so sweet and also a combination of having a great memory for the details and what he loved about the show right. and being able to articulate that. Oh, wow. And, you know, and I, I know, I'm just, maybe this might sound creepy or whatever, but he had great legs, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, he, he's a handsome guy. He What's is. funny is he his weight went up and down a lot on the show if you notice yeah and the costume people joked with me about that that you know gavin they would be letting in and out that uniform a lot yeah. because gavin's weight would fluctuate <laughs> and i say who doesn't gain weight on a cruise come on i know right but he I'll always make a comment about how i was always in love with captain stubing and ricardo Maltabon from you know fantasy oh Island. my god me too what, oh my so god. suave i know he, he defined suave for an entire generation of us you know what that's a very good way of putting it he actually did and you know that those fantasies when he go oh tattoo this is mr smith he wants to be you know a, la, 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 a race car driver but then he'll go but we'll see you know and then yeah. and then you'll see his devious eyes and charm and you're like well the guy we know is not gonna get it become a race car driver he's gonna or he is but he's not gonna like it he's it's not, not gonna, gonna work like out it. well yes there's gonna be some kind of lesson learned but um yes. i was always thinking like oh my gosh you know these characters and i have really Recently on a podcast, admitted I was like, I think I've always wanted like a menage a trois with them too, you know, <laughs> Captain Stubing and um, and Mr. Rourke. I know that's sick and weird, but I'm sorry I had to say it. You know what? But, to each his own. There are definitely TV characters I have lusted for, so I do not oh, judge at all. Oh I think God. that you can either write yourself some fan fiction, or you know, these days you can probably edit together a little reel. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I've got the editing equipment. You could make that happen. Exactly right. Oh my God. Be so much fun so now who is a character that you have lusted after if you have oh, to pick one? i would have to think about that i yeah. don't know they, you know well, there's probably we were just, several frank and i were just what it's it's more that it's not necessarily the character i don't think it would be that there was a handsome actor on a show right i mean i always thought david naughton was so cute and he was on that show my sister sam in the 80s that's probably why i watched that show <gasps> yes um, we, we Frank and I were watching uh, a repeat of Here's Lucy last night where uh, Cesare Denova, an Italian actor who ended up going on the love boat and doing a lot of cheesy American TV in the 70s, 80s, 
um, he was on, and this was a 1964 episode of Here's Lucy when he was only in his 30s and so handsome, six foot four and well built and dark hair. You know, that's where I was like, that's where I'll watch an episode because even though Here's Lucy was not my favorite version of Lucy, right. I'll watch that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to see him in a tuxedo looking suave and debonair, I, I somehow made it through the whole half hour episode. Look at that. <laughs> I know, right? Oh, but let me tell you what, I don't know. Uh, that Mr. Rourke, I tell you what, he's so naughty, but nice well um yeah yeah. no he was he was sexy i get it he was okay now i know now kind of switching gears here right quick because i want to kind of go back to julie now that was lauren yes twos right twees okay so now i know i mean she was you know she was she was pretty she was fun she she was a great actress and everything so but i know she kind of fell upon some you know some obstacles in her life and then and um so when you were meeting her how was that? She seems like, was she a very good in- interviewer person, you know, person to interview or was she a little bit, you know, uh, you know, tough to interview or how was it? Uh, mostly great. A little tough in terms of just scheduling, you know, it's just, she lives in the Pacific Northwest and it's been a little harder for me to spend quality time with her. Yeah. Um, but when I have, and she comes down here for events, I've seen her at some love boat related events. Uh, she is super open about some of the most painful times in her life to her credit. Really? When you're an interviewer and you have to talk about something touchy, yeah, you save it for the end of the phone call usually because in case they hang up on you, <laughs> you don't want it. To, right. You know, you want to have gotten something. And I normally wouldn't write about someone's drug use or and their rehab because it's their business. However, yeah. with the love boat, it was very public. It was you know that was, it was the reason given why Julie and why Lauren Tweez was fired from the show. Uh, then Lauren Tweez did a TV Guide cover story about her rehab. She was very public and open about it. Became kind of an 80s poster girl mm-hmm. for rehab, for better or for worse. I mean, it's unfair to her because she certainly was not the only actor using drugs in that era. Right. But she, because she played America's sweetheart girl next door, I think the irony struck everyone so much about yeah. the difference between America's sweetheart and some the vision of someone they had using drugs. And so she kind of became associated with that, which was unfair to her, but she was very, she turned lemons into lemonade in terms of being open about drug use and rehab and probably inspired other people yeah. to go into rehab. So I, I admire her more than anything else. Um, but so when I, when I had to bring this up, because it is part of the story of the show, I was going to wait till the end. And I have to say, when it was organic in our conversation to bring it up, she brought it up. And she was very open. And I, there's one moment that I, I always think back to in that interview when I spoke with her the first time. And I think, my God, how courageous she was even to say this to me, never mind to have said it in the first time, because she's quoting something she said back in the day. Yeah. I asked her about what it was like when Jill Whelan joined the show as Vic and, Vicky as a little girl. Oh, because. Yeah. Up until that point, Lauren Tweez had been the only female character, the only regular female character on the show. Right. And so when I said to her, what was it like having another woman or a girl join the show? Most actors, if you've done this long enough, you expect one of two standard act uh, 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 answers. Mm -hmm. And one would be, oh, it, I was so finally glad to have another woman on the show that we could compare notes. And yeah. so it would be all pure happy. Or the second answer would be a variation of that. Like, well, I was concerned what it would mean for Julie's character, but then we just fell in love, uh, the exactly. two of us actresses. And so you expect that standard canned answer. Yeah. And the answer that she gave me was, you know, at the time that Jill joined the show, I was so deep into my problem that I didn't want to have anything to do with her because I didn't want to influence her or be a bad role model. So I actually went to her mother and apologized and said, look, I don't want to seem rude, but I'm going to keep my distance from you all. Wow. And that was such an honest, raw answer. Mm -hmm. I was so impressed with her for not only having the grace to do that back in the day, to know that, okay, even though I'm having my problems, I'm going to try to keep this away from someone else. And also to be open enough to say that back then and say it to me now, I was blown away. So I, I, you know, again, another 
example of people exceeding my expectations. Well, I tell you what, I mean, she seems like a very solid person. You know what I mean? Because in order to go through all of that back in the 80s and then to be so resilient and come out on the other end. And she's also been like an advocate for a lot of those things, you know, so it, it takes a real yes, strong. She's person. very open about it to this yeah. day. And she still acts. She does theater in the Pacific Northwest. She will. She does other acting roles. Uh, she has a very normal life now. Yeah. Uh, and she made it through that really difficult time. You know, she had been thrust into the spotlight in a way that a lot of people go astray. Right. Uh, she had been the last person cast for The Love Boat. They made three TV movies as pilots to launch The Love Boat. And each time they got a little bit of the casting. The first time they didn't get any of the casting that they ended up keeping. Yeah. But the second time they made a movie, they cast gopher isaac and doc mm. but they still weren't happy with the people they had cast as the captain and julie the cruise director and so they made a third movie and they got gavin and they got lauren Twees. but lauren gavin ended up becoming an easier cast because at the moment they were making that third movie the mary tyler moore show had just ended and they were and someone had the foresight to think get me gavin he's available so that yeah. kind of happened right away. But with the cruise director, they didn't know what they wanted. And it's it's the way we view women in this country that's at fault. Because we have this Madonna horror complex, right? Mm -hmm. So we think that you need a character for something called the love boat, where she's going to be a romantic leading lady. And so she's going to kiss guys. And there's going to be a suggestion of her sex life. And yet we're so prudish about women and their sex lives that we want to cast somebody who seems like a virgin. And so that exactly. you want to cast a girl next door who's got like a fresh freckle face and mm -hmm. seems 22 and naive and innocent and virginal. And then we're going to have her romancing guys. And right. how do you find an actress who's both of those who can do both of those? I know they didn't know what they were looking for. And it came down to the wire. And Lauren Tweez had done episodes of both Charlie's Angels and Starsky and Hutch, which were Aaron Spelling shows. And at the last minute, somebody reviewed some tapes of her and said, let's bring her in to audition. And so she came in and met with them and it was down to the wire. And they literally said, you got the job. You start tomorrow. Wow. Meet us at the Queen Mary. Yeah. We're filming on the Queen Mary in Long Beach. So she really went from struggling to the point where she said she had a flat tire either on the way to the audition or on the way to work the first day where she almost didn't make it there and had no money to have it fixed. She went from that kind of broke actor starvation level right. to the very next day starting a show that was going to thrust her onto millions of TV screens and make her America's sweetheart. Yep. And so, superstardom. You know, when you think about yep. that weird – and superstardom. So although I don't ever think it's a good idea to use drugs to get over a problem like that, I understand that she went through something we all probably cannot identify with. Yep. What's it like to go from – to superstardom in the course of a couple months. Yeah. You're absolutely right because it's 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 kind of got to be a complete 180 in your life. You know, you have to be very balanced and very strong. And I'm sure a lot of them start off like that, but it can be. I mean, I'm sure it has to be a challenge, you know? I'm oh, trying to yeah, think. I can't like, even imagine that challenge. I'm trying to think like how how would I go to Target? You know, <laughs> you, know? you don't. That's the you answer. Just don't you go from being somebody who ran errands every day and had no problem to being somebody you find that you just can't go out in public and do that because you're too big at the moment. You know, eventually your career will cool down. Forty years from now, after you've done the Love Boat, you can go to Target again. But there's a good amount of time while that exactly. shows on the air and after where you don't have a normal life anymore right. you can't go to the supermarket and you do have to have a personal assistant or something you know your life just changes well don't you think now that uh the this you know celebrity the, you know is able to kind of go out there now i mean because you know like if you think about like yes kardashians and, and stuff like that they they actually can go to i mean of course they're mobbed and everything but there are some well, stars that but can remember that they're stars who are known for being stars they're not famous because they acted in something and then they have to deal with the fame right their whole thing is the fame right. they courted the fame and so that's how they do it right and that they go out in public and they're filmed for their show or even when they're not filmed for their show they're courting an audience and i'm not pointing a finger at that that's great right but it's i i wouldn't compare them to an actor who is doing it for 
the love of acting and as a job, but then dealing with the aftermath. And by the way, some of the aftermath is good. When you're well-known and you can get a table or you get an upgrade on an airplane or people are nice to you, that part of it's probably pretty good. You know, the actors for a long time have talked about the pluses and minuses of fame, but I just, in certain cases, like Lauren Tweezes, you see the extremes mm-hmm. that she went from one extreme to the other. There are some actors who are character actors who I see around. I live in Studio City, California. I see them at lunch all the time. I'll go to a restaurant that actors tend to like, and there they are. Right. I'll go to Target, and there I'll meet somebody. But it's because they're not huge. Right. Uh, but it, when you, know, you don't see uh, a giant movie star at the supermarket because well, they just can't. Well, don't you think like even um, well, like let's just say you know like somebody from Will and Grace, you know Megan. Let's just say now if you yeah. saw her at Target, I'm sure people are going to know who she is. But I think she's still able. I think my point is there are some celebrities that people don't want to you know hurt and go you know they don't want to mob you like if it's you know Madonna you know out there is people want to you right. know Madonna consume. can't go to a store. No, she can't go to a store. But let's you know but. But like maybe like Megan could, right? I mean, it really depends. It depends upon how much you can blend in and how much you look like your character. Yeah. You know, Megan does not look like Karen in real life. She doesn't wear that wiglet and have her boobs out of a dress, you know, and all that stuff. <laughs> exactly. And she doesn't have that same voice either. Well, so she's a chameleon. She can she could certainly throw on a baseball cap and sunglasses true. and probably be unnoticed by a lot of people. True. Well, and I'm just thinking like America's obsession or the world's obsession with celebrity now. Because everybody wants to be famous or you know, fifteen right. minutes of TikTok something, you know? So I'm thinking like if if you are, you know, in and you know, everybody's like so obsessed and i'm thinking like is really the word celebrity you i mean i know it's still used but is it really a big thing anymore because i think that people's uh perspective like whenever we grew up you know like lucille ball was famous and she was untouchable you know those kind of things but then now it seems like everybody's kind of out there with you know being a celebrity or a celebrity so when i don't know if the what what am i trying to say here i don't know if the excitement is still there for someone who's just famous because they're everywhere now everybody now has social media and you can kind of see I all think this it depends i think it depends really? i think there are still huge movie stars i mean if someone if you were to go to the mall and see tom cruise you would yeah. still be floored and everybody would mob him so there are still this definitely people who would create that same effect i think what you're reacting to is the fact that there are so many more vehicles out there in terms of now we have streaming and we're at peak tv and we have 500 shows never Mm -hmm. mind movies never mind people who are famous for things like tiktok right and who have you know so you can be famous among a certain core group of people and you can be super famous in one niche and then have nobody know who you are outside of that yeah and so some of these people can go to the store and they might only be recognized by their TikTok followers, but that that could be a pool of a million people. But then other people would have no idea who they are. So it's it's become a different right. kind of famous where everything's so fragmented. Yeah, that's such a good, good way of doing it. Because I know people who, you know, all over social media are doing these videos or doing some kind of something or whatever, you know, for whatever it is. And it's just like it's 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 there, then it's gone. You know, like it happens and because everything happens so quick now in our society that you can't really grasp on the body of work. You know, so when you think of Betty White, when I think of her, I think that a younger generation might know who she is because she was cool and she's done some really cool stuff, you know, lately. And, you know, you know, a few years ago, she'd been on all these, you know, uh, up and you know, current shows. So, but they don't understand the hard work for, you know, 50 plus years that she's done. Right. So, or, or 60 plus years that she's done in, Oh my God, it was like 80 80 plus years. years. I keep going up. (laughs) So, but like 80 plus years of the body of work she's done that makes her who she is. So, and I think that, um, I don't know why that just, it, it really does irritate me on how quickly some people can be famous for, you know, shooting balloons or something, you know, like out of the sky and doing all these kind of great thing, you know, crazy things and spell letters with, you know, stuff in the sky with fireworks. I mean, I've seen all kinds of crazy stuff. And so they, they become, you know, just like quick and instant. And then all of a sudden nothing, you know, and, well, you know, we, we didn't invent, invent the phrase flame, fame is fleeting. 
Mm-hmm. That's been around forever. And just time proves it. I have seen young people not know who Joan Crawford is, not know who Natalie Wood is. And these are people who in their day were among the most famous people in the world. Mm-hmm. There are probably people now who don't know who Elizabeth Taylor was. So, yes, that's depressing because they were greats and they should be remembered. But I tend I, I try to take that as a positive right. in terms of my own career. Yeah. You know, sometimes I'm tempted to be like, oh, I hope this book comes out great because someday I'll be gone and I want to leave this work behind. And I'm not just writing about a TV show. I'm not carrying cancer. I know that. But still, you get into your own ego yeah. where you think I'm going to leave this behind for posterity. Well, to me, it's kind of reassuring that, hey, if people have forgotten who Joan Crawford and Elizabeth Taylor are, I don't need to leave anything behind for posterity. Nobody's going to remember me because (laughs) they're forgetting the greats. And so in a way, it's freeing to be in the moment and to do what feels like it's important to make the world a better place now and not worry about what you leave behind. I I try to find it freeing. You know what? That is wonderful. That is a great way to close our show today. Thank you so much, Jim, for being on the show. It has been. Thank you. It was really fun. Oh, it's been absolutely amazing. And I wanted to end on those words because I think that you actually resonated something that was very thought provoking and it's very true on our society and how we look at celebrity and fame and also all of your great body of work. You know, all the books you've written, all the famous people you've you know you've met and also you know being on the tv show. are you gonna be on another tv show anytime soon talking about the uh, love boat I'm, again you i'm know? about to be on one of the i don't know if i'm allowed to say i'm about to be on a magazine show okay taking people through the new golden girls kitchen that is about to debut in los angeles wow okay so keep an eye out Oh, yeah. Please keep me posted. And I would always, always, anytime you ever want to come back, I would love to have you. You've been such a wonderful, wonderful guest. And I appreciate it very, very much. And so thank you for taking the time. I know you're very busy. You are. I think you're one of the busiest people I know. You know, so thank you. <laughs> well, you know, I'm busy watching the love boat, so I don't know if that counts as busy. But okay. when you're trying to take notes on all of these nitty gritties, including what cabins people are in, so I can make a little chart for my book, I guess that's what? busy. What? What do you mean? The ca- yeah. Okay. Oh, oh I want to have a feature, and I want to have a feature in the book called "If These Cabin Walls Could Talk," and then talk about every cabin and what happened in every cabin. So <gasps> that means I have to I have to write down everybody's cabin number every time I see them go in or out of a door. Oh wow. Oh, okay. That is such it's taking amazing. Taking a lot of time. So I told you I'm a Virgo. That is a lot of research. <laughs> oh my god. That, uh, anyway, that's amazing, Jim. You are wonderful. Thank you so much. Give your husband my hellos, and I want to tell everybody out there: um, you can listen to me, my podcast, Real and Raw with Patrick Tremont, on iHeart, Apple, Spotify, Pandora, and you can even ask Alexa to tune in. So um, you can also catch me on Instagram, The Real Patrick Tremont, and Facebook, Real and Raw with Patrick Tremont, or you can email me with questions or comments. Um, Patrick Tremont at Outlook.com. Jim, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Anytime you ever want to come back on, just let me know. You'll be uh, you, thank you, Patrick. Always I had a great welcome. time. Yes, thank you so much. You have a great day, Jim. Thank you. Thank you. You too. Bye bye. Okay. Bye bye. It's been real and raw with Patrick Tremont.